You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver has passed its first legislation on what has been a hot topic in the city, short-term rentals, including sites like Airbnb. Councillors voting to adopt a policy allowing homeowners to renters, homeowners and renters, to offer only their primary residences. Now, Nadia Stewart has the details and why critics say the regulations are already flawed. For Airbnb host Alan O's, this was a very personal vote. Uh, it's my home and we rent it because it helps us make ends meet. Councillors voted 7-4 to four in favour of approving controversial short-term rental regulations. Starting April 1st, 2018, owners and renters will only be allowed to rent their principal residence for a period of less than 30 days. And they'll have to pay $49 for a licence to do it. We have currently over 6,000 illegal short-term rentals in the city. We needed a way to regulate those and I think we've got a solution that we're almost 80% of those can now be uh, approved, they will be legal. The promise has always been that the regulations will, in part, help to add to Vancouver's meager rental supply. But as Oz points out, not every owner with a secondary suite wants to be a long-term landlord. And it's never been in a long-term rental pool. It's going to go away, perhaps. According to the new rules, only the principal resident can rent a secondary suite, laneway home or investment property. But NPA councillor Melissa DeGenova is quick to point out a potential loophole. People could rent to an adult child for a dollar a year and that adult child could turn around and rent out their unit as an Airbnb. There are also questions about compliance. Any Vancouver host on any platform without a license will be slapped with a $1,000 fine per infraction. But Airbnb would not disclose what it would do about hosts who won't comply. Again, that's the kind of discussion we will be having with the city of Vancouver next week. The city says an inspector and a dedicated enforcement coordinator will be in place by next April. Not to mention another communication staffer just for short-term rentals. In the meantime, they're still illegal here. And in some neighborhoods, they might always be unwelcome. Nadia Stork, Global News. Now, the short-term rental licenses are going to be separate from the current business license application. The city says it will make an announcement soon on when people can apply. We are getting our first look at the man accused of the brutal murders of a Vancouver couple. 25-year-old Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam made a very brief court appearance today. He's charged with two counts of second-degree murder in the slayings of 68-year-old Richard Jones and 65-year-old Diana Ma Jones. Their bodies were found inside their Marpole home on September 27th. Wayne M. Kem said nothing while standing in the prisoner's box, only occasionally glancing at family members in the courtroom, who were later seen exiting the court, but provided no comment today. The Real Estate Council of B.C. has suspended the license of Kevin Bratch, the realtor at the center of a dispute with a Maple Ridge couple who lost their home in a rent-to-buy plan. The council is investigating Bratch for predatory behavior for personal gain. And as Jeff Hastings reports, it may not be an isolated case. As far as the neighborhood kids are concerned, Brenda and Gord are still their neighbors. But the Gartleys can't live here anymore. It's hard to see it sitting there and I can't go in. <laughs> a lot of memories, a lot, a lot of memories here. 
They lost the house after entering into a rent-to-own agreement. In financial trouble, they had signed over their home to realtor Kevin Bratch and believed the agreement would allow them to buy back their house in a year when they had time to arrange new mortgage financing. But within months, they were told the deal was dead, they would lose the right to buy back their home, and they were kicked out Thanksgiving Day. Now the real estate licenses of Kevin Deep Singh Bratch and Bratch Realty have been suspended. The Real Estate Council suspended the license in the public interest while it investigates Mr. Bratch's marketing and sales practices to determine whether he was targeting vulnerable people and whether he was engaged in predatory schemes to profit from their financial distress. Kevin Bratch isn't answering the door of his house in nearby Surrey. He has not responded to a telephone inquiry, but we did talk to him earlier this fall. Here I am, a property owner that didn't get paid rent for six months, that had to evict my tenant through a huge hassle, and now i got a property that's completely damaged. The council report into Bratch's activities is not complimentary, and it isn't only about the Gartleys. Several other deals are examined where homes were acquired for well below market value and sold for significant profit. Between November 2015 and October 2017, the council says Bratch took in $759,000. If there are members of the public or consumers who've come into contact with Mr. Bratch or have experienced similar schemes as the ones outlined in the decision, those individuals should contact the Real Estate Council. The council is concerned the rents were too high, the homeowners were uninformed, and that Bratch's behaviour was predatory. We just hope we can just move forward and then back to our home. The Garleys are living in a camper while they sue to get their house back. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Vancouver police are appealing for witnesses to two violent and apparently random attacks in Stanley Park to come forward. Our Grace Key joins us from the park tonight. Grace, these attacks happened just about a year ago and police say they have made progress, but they still think there's someone out there who knows something and needs to come forward. Yeah, police are confident that there are people out there who saw or heard something and still haven't been able to uh, come forward for whatever reason. Now, they say that these individuals, they believe, do frequent the trails here at Stanley Park at night. Vancouver police say they've made significant progress in identifying those responsible for two attacks in Stanley Park about a year ago. But they are asking for witnesses to come forward and acknowledge some of these witnesses may be reluctant to do so. We strongly believe that there's people that visit the park at night that have direct knowledge of these offenses and they're sitting on that information. They have not yet come forward. We're asking those people to call us, contact police. On November 16, just after 2 in the morning, an 82-year-old man was found in his car near Brockton Oval, suffering from serious injuries. He survived and is cooperating with police. Less than three months later, 61-year-old Lubo Kunick was killed. His body found shortly before 11 at night on the seawall between 2nd and 3rd Beach. A year later, still no witnesses have come forward. Morgan Camley is the board chair with Community, a support and leadership organization for the LGBTQ community. That the Vancouver police have been doing to reach out to this community, and they should be commended for that. But there's still decades and decades of hurt and and safety concerns within our community, and so there's still a lot of concern, um, and that's that's a concern that that 
is really felt by uh, all marginalized communities. After the attack near Brockton Oval, police released this video of a man walking towards the totem poles. He hasn't been identified yet, and the person's possible connection is still unclear. It's believed the attacks are random. The victims were not targeted, and it's unclear if the two incidents are connected. Investigators are once again asking for witnesses to come forward. We're pleading with them now to please come forward. Our officers are very dedicated and they're making progress here and we need that little bit of information to push us forward. Now, police are certainly urging these the witnesses, you know, if you are scared, if you simply don't want to talk to a police officer, you can always call Crime Stoppers and remain anonymous. Sophie? Grace Key reporting at Stanley Park. Grace, thank you. There's some breaking news to tell you about now up on Grouse Mountain. Dozens of people, including many school children, are stuck up there right now. Andrew joins us from the newsroom with the details. And, and we just finished watching Grace Key and Stanley Park there, the rain and wind uh, causing some serious problems up there. Yeah, that's right. Very blustery up there, Chris. Thank you. We are keeping a close eye on the conditions at the top of Grouse Mountain. About 70 elementary school children, 14 parents and five teachers are stuck at the top, unable to take the sky ride down because of the strong winds, as you mentioned. The children are from Seek Academy in Surrey. They were on a field trip to Grouse Mountain when the winds picked up late this afternoon. Staff at Grouse Mountain tell us everyone is safe and comfortable, so there's some good news there. They are not the only ones stranded right now, however, there are about 200 people in total. That includes staff members who are in the same situation. So no word yet on when the sky ride will be operating again. Grouse Mountain staff continue to watch the winds, hoping Mother Nature cooperates. Chris, Sophie. All right, Anne, thanks very much. Let's find out if she will now with Chief Meteorologist Mark Madriga and more on the, the winds and the problems they're causing, Mark. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, let's just go back from the rest of the day or to the rest of the day we've had. Uh, you see the time stamps here, 6, 7 a.m., 6 p.m., various times of the day we've had peak winds across the south coast. But the main story is the wind has been gusty all day and it is going to continue to be gusty. In fact, it will come up this evening. We have a wind warning for Metro Vancouver. You see we're right in the path of these heavy rain showers and in red here some lightning strikes outside chance of lightning working its way into the lower mainland as well but the main story is strong winds this evening grouse mountain and all across metro vancouver gusting 80 kilometers an hour chris all right we'll check in a little later too mark thank you Coquitlam RCMP hoping you can help find a driver involved in a hit and run with a pedestrian and the driver stopped long enough to know what happened it was thursday october 26th at about 11 p.m. at the corner of Austin Avenue and Nelson Street in Coquitlam. According to witnesses, the driver of a newer model black crew cab pickup stopped briefly after hitting the pedestrian, but drove away without helping or leaving any identification. We're looking for a black, shiny pickup. It'll be a newer model. It has fog lights in good working order. And particularly noticeable on this truck is the six-spoke shiny mags, or what we call mags, which is basically shiny wheels. RCMP say the pedestrian was seriously injured, but has since made a full recovery. And another blow for the Abbotsford Police Department. It turns out the young man killed in a car accident in Maple Ridge yesterday was the son of the force's deputy chief. The single vehicle crash happened around 2.30 a.m. at Lougheed and Lady, across from Ridge Meadows Hospital. The victim has now been identified as 19-year-old Aiden Sir, the son of APD Deputy Chief Mike Sir. No word on what caused the crash. 
North Vancouver RCMP need help identifying a suspect they're calling Grinder Man. Take a look. This still shot grabbed from security camera footage. It captures two thieves using a portable grinder to cut the locks off a number of bikes at a lower Lonsdale apartment complex. The thieves accessed the storage locker via the underground parking. If you can identify the persons of interest, you are asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. More tonight on the plight of a young woman who is fighting for provincial coverage of a very expensive drug that could save her life. She's been diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, and while the treatment is covered in several other provinces, John Waugh asked the health minister today why B.C. isn't helping this young patient. As Jennifer Anaquad watches her daughter's health hang in the balance. There's times I have to leave the room because I don't want her to see me cry. The B.C. government is looking into whether it should fund a drug that could potentially save Shante Anaquad's life. That's not the B.C. that I want to live in, where we're running cost analysis on people's life. The 23-year-old diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, AHUS. Solaris, which costs $750,000 a year, could mean a life no longer tied to plasma exchange or dialysis machines. While it's approved by Health Canada, it's not covered in B.C. It's reasonable for us to both review the original decisions because uh, this is a very, very uh, harmful syndrome. In 2013, the Common Drug Review, or CDR, recommended the medication not be listed. Saying the clinical evidence was insufficient, the costs high. By withholding funding, the Ontario government has turned its back on the lives of patients with these kinds of rare diseases. While many governments see the Common Drug Review as the gold standard, when there's a political will, there seems to be a way. Patients that are facing these devastating diseases have to come to Queen's Park to advocate and put the pressure on you and get media attention. And in 2015, the Ontario government went to the Common Drug Review asking for advice on possible exceptions for funding looking to cover Solaris for a smaller group of AHUS patients that meet a specific criteria, based on models in Australia and the United Kingdom. The Common Drug Review brought in three clinical experts, and while it did not reverse its decision, stated this about Ontario's proposal. These criteria should allow AHUS patients with the greatest unmet medical need to be treated. The previous government, the Ministry of Health, said no in 2013, and then it said no in 2015. After meeting with the health minister, Shante Anaquad's mother, not hopeful about the review. It wasn't positive. Um, it, it's still, um, it, it's still really troubling. Wondering why what led the drug to be funded in Ontario isn't good enough in BC. John Hua, Global News. The new way to get a better view of crime scenes. How a drone with high def with a high def camera helped answer some questions for this grieving father when nothing else could. And how he's making sure others get the technology too in just over a minute. A sight-impaired commuter saved from certain death by an unsung hero. His close call and attempts to thank the man who stepped in to help. And you've never seen a Barbie doll like this. The Olympic hero immortalized for her groundbreaking performance a little later on the news hour. But first, an Ontario father is channeling his grief over his missing daughter into helping find other missing women. John Simpson's daughter Ashley disappeared near Salmon Arm last year and has never been found. As Romina Dea reports, Simpson is determined to use his experience with drones in his search to help other families. So we're back to square one again, like with no closure and having our daughter gone. 19 months, no leads. 
John Simpson has traveled from his home in Ontario to BC twice to search the river and ditches near Salmon Arm for his missing daughter, 32-year-old Ashley. When I was out there this year uh, in, in May, um, because of the flooding situation and everything being closed down, uh, it was really hard to get access to anything. No sign of his little girl, but he was inspired by a teenager who used his fleet of drones to help in the search. A critical piece of equipment every search crew should have, says Simpson. So he held a fundraiser and used the money to purchase two drones for volunteers near Salmon Arm. I'm only doing things that I would hope any other father would do. Uh, you know, I... I I see, I see a dilemma of the missing, and, and I need to see that there's action needs to be taken. Simpson's daughter is one of at least five women who vanished from the North Okanagan area since February 2016. The remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero were discovered on a farm on Salmon River Road last month. No one has been charged. Volunteers continue to search for the others, and Simpson's gift will now give crews a view from the air of tricky terrain they couldn't access by foot. This gives families who are, who are dealing with, you know, this issue of murdered or missing women, it gives them hope and strength, I'm sure. The drone Simpson donated will launch for the first time near Salmon Arm this weekend. So if you can find one person to help, that means there's, there's hope. Romina Dea, Global News. It was a shocking crime that made international headlines and focused a harsh spotlight on bullying. 20 years ago today, 14-year-old Rena Verk was swarmed and later murdered near Victoria. Today, family, friends and community members gathered to mark the somber anniversary with a focus on healing. In a park just steps from where Rena Verk was killed 20 years ago, an outpour of support under a downpour of rain. It gives me that hope, that sunshine, that things have changed and her death has not gone, gone in vain. The 14-year-old murder victim's father, aunt, sister and grandparents surrounded by a crowd of more than 100 people to mark the somber anniversary. Rena's death will never leave me. That moment in time, in many regards, we lost our innocence. Um, just with that turning point, youth violence hit home and it could happen even with uh, children as young as 14 years of age. Staff Sergeant Chris Horsley was part of the crew that discovered Verk's body eight days after her death. On November 14, 1997, a group of teens swarmed and attacked her under the Craigflower Bridge. A badly beaten Rena Verk staggered across this bridge trying to head home, but she was followed and couldn't escape. Warren Glowatsky and Kelly Ellard followed Verk, continued the assault and held her head underwater until she stopped moving. I was grieved. Everything was dark and our family was just devastated when we heard it. But the national tragedy has become a catalyst for change. Art, poetry, theatre, uh, research assignments, a whole research centre at UVic, youth drop-in centres that all contribute to Rena's legacy. At the event, a photo centre with people of all ages committing to non-violence and a section honouring Rena Verk through photos and memories. I feel like Rena's family has definitely given me a lot of strength to deal with some bullying in my life. Event speakers, including BC's Education Minister, all focusing not just on healing, but also on preventing youth violence. It's really a day to celebrate tolerance and diversity and to uh, rededicate ourselves in Rena's memory to make sure that no child is bullied in the way that she was. The Verk family says this event serves as a reminder of just how many share their grief. It's a large crowd. 
My heart is so glad to see that we are not alone. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Saanich. And the two teenagers who were convicted of second-degree murder have since taken different roads. Warren Glowatsky, 16 at the time, admitted his role in the murder and was granted full parole in 2010. Kelly Ellard, who was 15, denied responsibility for Virk's death until a parole hearing last year. She now has a child born to her while serving her sentence, and she has a day parole hearing later this month. There's a Brazilian invader blocking B.C. waterways. What's lurking below and how it got there coming up next. And a couple of rescued sea otter pups meet for the first time. And it's about as cute as you'd expect. Heavy rain and flooding bring a strange sight in Washington state. A road flooded with just enough water for a school of fish to swim across. It takes a bit of effort, obviously, on the fish's part. Most are able to make it. A few don't. Locals say these are migrating salmon, and they cross this road almost every year when heavy rains bring up the water levels. There's a war going on in B.C. against an aggressive invader with the power to plug up our beloved waterways. And the front line is a lagoon in Steveston. The city of Richmond has tried to deal with the stubborn Brazilian Elodia already, but the invader came back. Now, as Linda Aylesworth reports, Richmond is calling for more provincial help before it's too late. It's over there. It's spread over there. And it's also gone really deep. In a lagoon in Richmond, running between the West Dyke and Mariner's Village, an invasive plant is taking over. This is the Elodia, and it'll be all over the slough come the spring. The problem isn't obvious now because most of the weed is hibernating just below the surface. But when the warm weather returns, the water will be thick with it. It becomes stagnant, and as a result, there's a smell, there are mosquitoes, it's odorous, to be, to be quite honest. And it can become so dense that it clogs up pipes and pumps, which can lead to flooding. Since 2014, it's been confined to a 500-meter stretch of this slough, but... I mean, there's only a dike between the Elodia and escaping throughout the lower mainland. We've been working with the province since 2014 to get some kind of a response to this situation. It really is a crisis. Last year, the province sent a diver in to weed a section of the slough as a pilot project. It didn't work. But there are ways to eradicate Brazilian Elodia. Washington state, which has also been infiltrated by the aggressive South American weed, is slowly getting the upper hand. What we learned was we needed to get this root crown or the double node removed with the biomass of the plant and then we were effective in killing the plant. The key to eradication is fast action, but the residents of Mariner's Village say it's already been too long since they first raised the alarm. But that was over three years ago, and we haven't had an appropriate response. Tonight, Richmond Council votes on whether or not to send a request to the province for assistance. I have no doubt that the province will be there to deal with this problem. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Some new video tonight from the Vancouver Aquarium of an utterly adorable encounter between two young residents. (laughs) 
Oh, we're so easily I amused. Keep my day job. The two youngest <laughs> sea otters living at the aquarium, five-month-old Hardy and 16-month-old Rialto, met for the first time. The aquarium says both otters readily adapt to new situations, and they believed their introduction would go well, but it turned out even better than expected. Rialto was discovered last year alone on a remote beach in Washington State. Hardy was found off the coast of Vancouver Island late June of this year. The aquarium says both are doing well. Fast friends, for sure. Renewed concern coming up about nuclear war. The president has the sole authority to give that order. The debate in the halls of U.S. government that could limit Donald Trump's power to push the button. And a close call for a New Jersey paddleboarder. But I will not accept and reject accusations that I have ever lied. That is a lie. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions fighting back today as he's grilled by the House Judiciary Committee. Democrats have hammered Sessions about whether he was telling the truth in previous testimony about whether he was aware of Trump campaign communications with Russian representatives and whether he himself had contact with Russians during the campaign. And for the first time in 40 years, the U.S. Senate began considering limits on a president's unchecked powers to launch a nuclear strike. It comes amid concern that rising tensions over North Korea's weapons program could lead to war. President Trump closely followed wherever he goes by a military aid with the nuclear codes. That's what worries some senators. The president of the United States is so unstable, is so volatile, he might order a nuclear weapons strike that is wildly out of step with U.S. national security interests. But ever since Harry Truman was president after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if a president wants to launch an attack, no one can stop him. Not his defense secretary, not Congress. Not the military officers who would fire the missiles. The president has the sole authority to give that order, whether we are responding to a nuclear attack or not. Once that order is given and verified, there is no way to revoke it. It's a growing concern because of President Trump's threats against Kim Jong-un. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. And fears both sides could miscalculate, with North Korean missiles able to reach the U.S. mainland in 30 to 40 minutes. I worry about, frankly, uh, uh, you know, the uh, access to nuclear codes. At issue, should the president have to consult Congress before launching a preemptive strike? And could changing the law send mixed signals to adversaries? These decisions have to be made in moments, and it is not going to be made by courts or by lawyers or by Congress. It's going to be made by the commander-in-chief. The consensus tonight, no change no matter who is president. Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, Washington. A fourth murderer in the same Florida neighborhood where three people were shot and killed last month has residents living in fear again. 60-year-old Ronald Felton was on his way to volunteer at a local food bank when he was shot four times. It happened just blocks away from a memorial for three other victims who were also shot for no apparent reason. A door-to-door search found nothing, but police believe the killer lives in the area. The only clue so far is this surveillance video released last month of someone police call a person of interest. 
A Colorado man is hoping to track down the stranger who was caught on camera, essentially saving his life. Watch the top of your screen. A man grabs Mike Wyatt from behind as he approaches train tracks. Mike is blind, and seconds later, the train passes by. Wyatt is now waiting at the station, hoping to give his guardian angel a proper thank you. You live, you die. It's what you do in between. And this young man did a great thing for me, and uh, that's what I want to say to him. Thank you. It really feels like somebody's watching over me. That's good. That's real good. Wyatt says the man who pulled him back has given him the chance to experience his seven grandchildren growing up. Well, we are used to seeing whale video shot off the coast of B.C., but this close encounter came near the Jersey Shore. Brian Shea had seen two humpbacks feeding not far from shore and took his paddleboard out to see if he could get close. Well, he got a lot closer than even he expected. Amazing. We're not entirely sure, but we think he was a little bit excited. Shea says he usually brings his GoPro with him because you never know what you're going to come across out there. In Health Matters tonight, several Vancouver community centers are marking World Diabetes Day by offering free testing. Cases of type 2 diabetes are exploding, but as many as 30% of people living with the disease don't even know they have it. That can lead to serious and even life-threatening complications. Ten Vancouver community centers will be testing until 7 tonight. Have you seen North Vancouver's Renaissance? So we had to rejuvenate and give it a new life. The centerpiece of a major redevelopment, reclaiming waterfront where industry used to dominate. Also ahead, the special delivery that just made it to the space station. After the forecast, the groundbreaking new Barbie doll inspired by an Olympic hero. Stories coming up. All right, Christy is off tonight, so meteorologist Mark Rodriga is pulling double duty. Are you, yeah. You must be exhausted, Mark. You, you know, I'm actually really good. I feel good. I, I drop off about 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the afternoon and just <laughs> have to rejuvenate myself, so it's all good. Uh, the rain continues to fall, and it will continue to fall all evening. A heavy rainfall warning in effect for Metro Vancouver, especially near the mountains. 50 millimeters uh, could easily fall by morning and more showers tomorrow, but the wind is a factor, too. From the southeast of 39 at the airport with higher gusts and it's nine degrees so at least it's mild looks like it's a mix of snow and rain up uh, on grouse mountain cypress uh, the ski areas that should turn to some snow overnight as it cools off a bit 10 was the high today briefly seven the low both above average minus 12 on this date in 1955 in our almanac and it's cold in the northeast the peace river region fort nelson whitehorse minus 12 to minus 14 prince george at minus four the arctic air has seeped in there. Williams Lake a lot milder at plus four and certainly mild through the southern interior. This is a shot from just a couple minutes ago near Whistler where the snow continues to pound down. 15 to 25 centimeters of, of wet snow will fall in the Whistler area tonight through tomorrow morning. The flow is very moist. It's heavy rain for the south coast and gusty winds. You see some lightning off the Oregon coast. That's been there all day. Outside chance of a stray lightning strike for the lower mainland this evening, but a, a greater chance of a lightning strike or two tomorrow as 
this cool, unstable air moves in. So many showers tomorrow, but it's now through this evening that will be quite eventful. Let's uh, go to the other parts of B.C. briefly, and you see tomorrow's forecast of uh, several centimeters of snow for the northeast. In fact, a heavy snowfall warning in effect for tonight for the Peace River region. Partly sunny for Prince Rupert tomorrow, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow for Prince George. Southern interior, not too many showers in the western interior tomorrow, but several in the eastern interior in the Kootenai region, and that'll be snow at higher elevations. South coast tomorrow, maybe a break or two. Many showers in the mix, but it's tonight. We will have gusty winds to 80 kilometers an hour, very active out there, along with heavy rain. Again, many showers tomorrow as well. A break for Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, more rain moving back in. Happy birthday tonight to Eileen Shockley, 100th birthday in Sydney. Thomas Wong in Richmond, happy 100th. And J.J. Bolko, uh, yesterday in Chilliwack. We missed you. Happy 101st birthday. Weather window from Janine in Salmon Arm. Look at that beautiful sunrise uh, a couple mornings ago. Just the tops of the mountains, snow-capped. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Janine. Weather window at globaltv.com. Christy will get your pictures, but I'm enjoying that one tonight. I got to put up myself. Thank Guys? We, we all are. Thanks Good. very much, Mark. All right, now go get some rest. <laughs> Mattel has uh, introduced its first ever doll to wear a hijab modeled after an American Olympian. Imtihaj Mohammed walked the red carpet last night for the Glamour Women of the Year Gala in New York with the new Barbie doll replica of herself. Mohammed competed in last year's Olympic fencing event, the first ever American athlete to compete while wearing a hijab. You have Mattel, uh, such a, a global brand, um, diversify uh, their toy line and include a Barbie doll that wears hijab it is very moving to me and I feel like it's very revolutionary and I'm happy for our youth to have, to have a doll that wears hijab. I think that it's an amazing moment for all of us. Mohammed is the latest honoree in the Barbie Shiro's program that recognizes women who break boundaries to inspire the next generation of girls. The doll will be available next year. Well, an out-of-this-world pizza delivery just happened. A cargo spacecraft loaded with more than 7,400 pounds of supplies, including pizza with all the fixings, arrived at the International Space Station today. NASA launching the spacecraft from Virginia on Sunday. And what's dinner without a little dessert? chocolate and vanilla ice cream on board as well to keep the six astronauts on board the ISS happy as U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas approach. It's changed a lot since mush in a tube. Yeah. Don't they have that freeze-dried ice cream, though? Remember that stuff? Oh, yeah. Have you tried that stuff? You can get it at some candy stores. It's kind of odd. Different? Not so good. Not you You don't want to be serving that for dessert. No. Your guests will be upset. At your next party, yeah. yeah. Nice to have you joining us now, Squire. Thank you very much. I wonder if that pizza would still be warm by the time it got up. <laughs> uh, the Giants' Ty Ronning. He is on pace for 50 goals this year, and that's a lot. But not quite the 89 his dad scored in one season of junior. Yeah, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Huh? Uh, that's pretty incredible. But in this day and age, you know, 50 goals in the Western Hockey League is as incredible as 89 was in the 80s when Cliff played. Also ahead, a place where you'll find out why a picture really is worth a thousand words. Say it again. But they are getting respect. And actually, that's not always a good thing. No. You want teams not to respect them and they have the Canucks play hard and surprise them and win a game. Tonight, the Canucks are in L.A. It's a meeting of the league's best penalty kill 
against Vancouver's powerless play. And considering the Canucks are really hoping to get goals from their special teams, this matchup is kind of like Hulk versus Loki in the Avengers. You might remember if you're a nerd like me. <laughs> the uh, Canucks have just one goal in their last two games. They would uh, appreciate a good night from Brock Besser. He's gone four straight without scoring uh, after getting that hat trick against Pittsburgh. Anders Nilsson will likely start in goal for this one. He was away recently for the birth of his child, and it's likely we're not going to see Jake and He may sit this one out again. They want him hitting more than he has been lately. That's one of the reasons they drafted him so high. Big hitter, but he's not been doing it enough of late. Trade in the NHL, well, a couple of guys who are in their mid-30s and not performing like they used to, so they're going to switch teams. UC Jokinen goes to the Kings. Mike Camilleri goes to the Oilers. All right, Charlie Lindgren, bit of a story in Montreal these days with Carey Price still out and playing well, taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets, but Josh Anderson scores. one nothing for Columbus. Oh, kicking it old school, Thomas Blacanic with the hip check. That's like some 50s-style hockey. And then Sergei Bobrovsky with saves. And I do mean saves, plural. And early in the third period, it's one nothing. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, that's correct. one nothing for Columbus over Montreal. Well, after Sweden got into next year's World Cup at the expense of Italy yesterday, there were only three spots left for next year's tournament. Tomorrow, New Zealand and Peru finish off their series to get who gets in as do Australia and Honduras. Today, Ireland was at home to try and make the World Cup with Denmark the only thing standing in their way. And it was game two of their series, and the first game in Denmark was 0-0. So let us go where Martin the dude O'Neill. from Lucky Charms was in the crowd. Here yesterday when he spoke to the media. And he's bigger than I thought he was, like way bigger than I thought he was. He looks so small in the cereal box. Oh, first goal for Ireland. Shane Duffy only six minutes in and the green team's up one nothing now it's 1-1 Christian Eriksen 2-1 it's a fabulous finish from Christian Eriksen Tottenham sniper gets another Christian Eriksen this is getting out of hand well it's another delightful this is a Dane who brings the pain Christian Eriksen again it's virtually teed up for him he gets three Denmark scores five another angle coming right at you 3d television Denmark moves on to the World Cup next year in Russia so Ty Ronning is the Vancouver Giants leading scorer he's like his father Cliff in some ways now Cliff wasn't a big man but he was a man with a big goal-scoring touch when he played in the Western Hockey League for New Westminster. In fact, he had 69 goals in his first year with the uh, Bruins, 89 in his second year. But that was in the days when a goaltender's job was to fish the puck out of the net and give the other player someone the hug when the game was over. These days, nobody gets 89 because the goalies are much better and so are the defensive schemes. 50 goals in the Western Hockey League, that's considered big. But Ty Ronning might be able to do that this year. Morrison trying to settle it down. Bouncing puck held in. Ronnie scores! Is it possible for 50? Well, he hopes so. You know, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, uh, he's going to give himself a chance. There's no question. So, um, you know, you got to have some health along the way there. But if he, he keeps going, uh, there's no reason why it's not uh, something he can be looking at. This incident, Ronnie in, he scores. 19 goals through 20 games. Easily makes one start thinking about that lofty 50-goal plateau. That's foreign territory for the Giants organization. No player in franchise history has reached that magical number. 
is Ty Ronning on the path to becoming the first? Ronning scores! 52 games, I think, to go. 31 to get to 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd, to be honest, I haven't really been focusing on any of that. I'm going to try to get to 20, and then from there, I'm going to try to get to 25, and from there, just kind of work it, work it up. But uh, I, I want to win games, more importantly. That's the most important thing for me. He's definitely capable of it. Um, he's got the right mindset, uh, so he's definitely definitely on the right track and the way he's going right now it's, it's definitely not out of the question getting to 50 would be a heck of a way to end a junior career before embarking full-time on a pro career one ties already got a taste of having played a few ahl games at the end of last season yes he scored there too and don't be fooled by his stature this kid has big game in more ways than one so in the first period last game uh, i took a little puck to the mouth and i got my upper lip kind of swollen and then uh, in the second period, in a totally different time, I got uh, high-sticked and it knocked out my tooth and got some stitches, but I look like a hockey player now, so I like it. Mouth guard, though? I was wearing a mouth guard, yeah. It just my, my, found my tooth in it. That was the only thing a little bit different about that, yeah. The goal-scoring gene is part of the Ronning family's DNA. Ty's dad, Cliff, more than lit up his fair share of WHL goalies. In his two dub seasons... Cliff didn't just hit the 50-goal mark, he obliterated it. As a rookie, Dad sniped 69. In his final season of junior, Cliff went off for a red-light ball-burning 89. Let that sink in for a moment. Even if you were to get to 50, you still got a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he's one heck of a player. Yeah, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Huh? Uh, that's pretty incredible, but uh, you know, he's still got to put the puck in the net. And score into the empty cage. That'll do it. I know you said that, the clean boards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No advertising on the boards. Yeah. Weird to see it now. All right. Thanks, Thanks Lance. You're welcome. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We're at a liberal fundraising dinner in downtown Vancouver tonight where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be delivering some remarks fresh off his trip to Asia. And an update on those people stranded on Gross Mountain because of high winds, among them 70 kids from kindergarten on a field trip are hearing the sky ride is operating again and they're making their way back down. We'll have more on that and the rest of the day's news coming up tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jay. It's Lonsdale 2.0. Up next, the incredible transformation on the North Shore. This weekend in North Vancouver will mark the final step in a vision that began 25 years ago. A new $18 million gallery will officially open in a highly stylized building that's likely to become a Metro Vancouver landmark. As Ted Chernecki reports, it's the latest step in the transformation of the Lower Lonsdale area. The hotel will be at the back corner here, and then over here will be the big outdoor ice rink in the wintertime. Next Christmas, this will be an open-air skating rink, twice the size of the one at Robson Square. By his own account, the mayor calls this mega-project his baby. Nothing short of a renaissance, more than two decades in the making. Twenty years ago, this was not a great place. We had some derelict buildings. It was a brownfield development. Industry had basically left, and it sat empty for a long time. So we had to rejuvenate and give it a new life. Hundreds of millions of private and public money is about to make Lower Lawnsdale the envy of the Lower Mainland, and the soaring cost of housing is already reflecting that. Two water parks, a new executive hotel, several high-end restaurants, a dedicated waterfront bike lane connecting Lionsgate and Ironworkers Bridges, and the arts given the highest priority. It's very rare to have the, the opportunity to build a standalone cultural building, an art gallery, 
particularly on a site that is as prized as this is. Be patient with me and follow me. Today we've got a pre-opening tour of this $20 million, 25,000 square foot gallery. The city still owns the waterfront property but has signed a long-time lease and here the story of the North Shore will be told. We're going to really be following uh, the path of uh, contemporary artists and, and showing us sometimes what we'll be showing. They're still busy setting up exhibits for this weekend's opening, like this accurate computer-generated image of what Kate's Park once looked like back in the 1950s. Somewhere here, Malcolm Lowry was editing his novel Under the Volcano and drinking himself to death. All the shacks are digitally composited into that photograph. We're almost there. We just got another year of construction and uh, soon will be the greatest place anywhere. This is also a place that showcases urban planning. What you don't see here are the 18 years of preparation that came before the big reveal. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Not as good as what? <laughs> um, he calls it Lolo. Lower, Lower Lawns. Oh, the mayor. Oh. The mayor, the mayor, mayor yeah. Masato. There is nice. no greater advocate for his city, <laughs> yep. perhaps, in the world. <laughs> and, yeah, he's got the, and he's got like the great enthusiasm. Yeah, he sure does. See. Yeah. And the business community loves him too. I did yeah. an event over there for the North Van Chamber last week, and they love him, rightfully so. Good. Uh, last word on weather before we. Yeah, go. I'm not loved these days with all the uh, all the rain. Uh, gusty winds tonight.